beauty and skincare is always a hot topic around here, and today I want to tell you about a new product line I've discovered that I think you will like, Exponent Beauty. Listeners of the show will receive 20% off their purchase. More details on that in a minute. Exponent Beauty is a skincare brand with a line of activated anti-aging serums that are clinically proven to reduce fine lines and wrinkles. The beauty of Exponent Beauty is their innovative form factor. The powders are activated with a quadruple hyaluronic acid serum in their patented precision-dosed dispenser. The packaging is gorgeous, and the dispenser itself is refillable, so it has also reduced plastic waste. Exponent Beauty's line of serums can be found in med spas and spas and dermatologists' office around the country. The line is dermatologist-recommended and clinically proven to reduce those fine lines and wrinkles, and to increase brightness and radiance, and to firm skin without irritation. No more expired or underutilized products with Exponent Beauty, just high-quality skincare with ingredients that work. Go to ExponentBeauty.com and use code TELL20 for 20% off a purchase of $100 or more. That's Exponent, E-X-P-O-N-E-N-T, Beauty, B-E-A-U-T-Y.com and use code TELL20, T-E-L-L, the numbers two zero for 20% off your purchase of $100 or more. Friends, this week I'm launching something I'm really excited about. It's called Secret Stuff, and it's a private podcast. So while nothing about 10 Things to Tell You at this show will change, Secret Stuff will have bonus content from the episodes here, exclusive books and reading episodes every month, as well as a special seasonal book club, and just personal or sensitive topics that I really want to explore, but I don't want to throw out on the whole wide internet. Secret Stuff will be a monthly membership hosted on Patreon. Those episodes will be ad-free and sponsor-free because of the support of members like you. If you sign up for Secret Stuff right now, there is already a bunch of episodes waiting for you, including full access to all my Secret Tapes interviews. Those are the conversations I had with the people I wrote about in my book. I called them the Secret Tapes. There's also bonus content from recent 10 Things to Tell You episodes, including this one right here. I'll also be hosting a book club this summer on Secret Stuff, and it is one that you don't want to miss. We'll be reading my favorite author, Stephen King, together this summer, and you know I cannot wait for those discussions. I give more details about Secret Stuff on the bonus episode in your feed right now called Introducing Secret Stuff. If you want to find out more, go to 10thingstotellyou.com slash secret stuff. 10thingstotellyou.com slash secret stuff. As always, I'll link to it in the show notes, and I hope to see you over on Patreon for my new private podcast, Secret Stuff. to tell you. And you have 10 things to tell. This show is about connection with each other and with ourselves. And the hope is that the things we talk about here will be fuel for better conversations and a personal awareness. This is an interactive podcast. Each episode has a prompt and a topic that I want you to take to your journal, text to your best friend, 
or answer on social media using the hashtag 10 things to tell you. This is a show about digging deeper and sharing our stuff. I'll go first. Anne Bogle is one of my very favorite people to record with because she is one of my very favorite people to talk books with. You might know Anne as the blogger behind Modern Mrs. Darcy, or you might know her as the voice behind the hit podcast, What Should I Read Next? Or you might know her as the author of one of her three books, Reading People I'd Rather Be Reading and Don't Overthink It. However you know Anne, you are surely familiar with her annual summer reading guide that is out now, and it is spectacular. This is Anne's 10th annual summer reading guide. I personally believe it's her best one, and y'all, it is free. Go to modernmrsdarcy.com srg to sign up to receive your summer reading guide. It is free. It is amazing. On this episode with Anne, we share some of the best books that we've read lately. We talk about what our reading habits look like this spring, and as usual, I came away from our conversation adding way too many books to my to-read pile, but I am not sorry about it one bit. Also, we both have recent bestsellers that were not five-star reads for us, to put it mildly, and we talk about that, among other things, on my new Patreon that is launching this week called Secret Stuff. That is a little bonus clip that I took out of this main episode. That will be part of the Secret Stuff. I will put links in the show notes to sign up for the Secret Stuff and to Ann Bogle's 10th Annual Summer Reading Guide, because you need both of these things in your life this summer. And now to my conversation about the best books we've read lately with modern Mrs. Darcy herself, Ann Bogle. Ann Bogle, welcome back to 10 Things to Tell You. Hi, Laura. Thanks for having me again. It's a pleasure. I love, love, love recording with you. We've recorded together so many times over the years. We were on your show, What Should I Read Next, back in January. Now here we are again together at the beginning of the summer, because guess what? It's every book lover's favorite time of year. The summer reading guide is out. Congratulations. I'm so sad. (laughs) I'm so sad your listeners can't see you like gesticulating wildly with your enthusiasm for summer reading. I really am so excited. And the last time you were on 10 Things to Tell You was last year's summer reading guide, which we know was still in the beginning of the pandemic. It seems like a world away. So now here we are, one year later, Summer Reading Guide 2021 is out. How do you feel? I feel good. I feel good. And I'm reading again instead of writing about books. (laughs) I love writing about books, but it makes it hard to read them. Wow, I can just start with the real like nitty gritty practical. This is how it works, huh? No, I feel good. It's really fun every year to see people's enthusiasm for this and say they plan their summer reading around it. And just, I mean... It's really fun. I think a lot of people feel like they don't have people who care that much about books in their regular life and see the internet be like, yes, summer reading. It's really fun. It makes you feel seen. That is true. That is true. And it's like something for readers to rally around. Also, because I have read the summer reading guide 2021, I've read all 10 of your summer reading guides. I have to tell you, and I'm not just saying this, this is the best one. 
Well, thank you. We had to do something fancy for our 10th. I was going to say, mm-hmm. it's so fancy. I was going to like text you on the side and be like, your summer reading guide is amazing this year. Thank you. It looks great. I did not design it to be clear. And it is beautiful. It is beautiful. Do you want to tell us just some highlights? Because I really liked how you broke it up this year. Like what the, you know, categories, or I don't know how, what you want to call them, Mm -hmm. but like, do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Cause it seemed a little different and I was very intrigued. Yay. I'm so excited. Well, we did do categories again. One year, a few years ago, I didn't do categories for the guide. And I had a reason for that. Like something that I am always trying to do is entice readers to read something a little bit outside their comfort zone or just something that they wouldn't have necessarily picked up otherwise. And so I try to describe books in such a way that the right reader will go, ooh, that sounds good. I'm going to check out that book. But when you put books in categories, I find that people will automatically think, oh, I don't like family stories or I don't want to read the ushy-gushy love stuff or I'm not really into fantasy. And so one year I didn't categorize the guide and people were not happy. They were like, I don't know how to choose. So, and we got some interesting comments that were like, oh my gosh, I, I definitely picked up some books I wouldn't have otherwise. And I love them. And I'm not sure now, now I'm noticing that, but wow. I did categorize the guide a few days later. It was like, okay, fine. Here you go. But let me tell you what I hope you'll do. But it's not that different from last year. But there are more, I think there are more, I almost said genres. I try really hard not to make the category straight genre breakdowns for that reason. So you won't just go, oh, I don't like historical fiction and skip right over it. Did you use that example? Because you know, I hate historical fiction. (laughs) Maybe my subconscious remembered. It was like, (laughs) speak directly to Laura's heart. Well, I do really appreciate how in the guide you, you make the categories uh, unique and interesting and that you truly encourage people to read outside of whatever genre it is that they think mm-hmm. they like, because I, I think that's important, even though I'm speaking to myself when I say that, because I can also sort of get in a, I don't, I don't call it a wreck. So I usually enjoy mm-hmm. it, but like get in a bubble of just reading what I know I like or, you know, whatever, and not stretching myself. And I do think that it's important for readers. If you're a regular reader, mm-hmm. not people who are just trying to get into a better reading habit, those people should definitely read what they're super drawn to. But regular readers, I, I think it's important that we stretch ourselves and read outside of our own bubbles and, you know, try something that we maybe normally would never pick up. And this is why I love book clubs, all kinds of book clubs, mm-hmm online or in person, because if you are not the sole person choosing what you're reading, if there's, you know, people are voting or there's an assignment or whatever, you are much more likely to read something and even complete something that you never normally would have. And I like, that's my favorite thing about book clubs. Yes. And it's not just that, you know, we know that it's good for us to read books from different points of view. And that is very true. And also I want to make sure that people know that if you don't, if you don't push outside, well, here's what I'm trying to do with the summer reading guide. I love it when people say, I would not have picked up that book in a bookstore if left to my own devices in a million year, but it's the best thing I read this year. You know, like if you only pick up the stuff that you know has worked for you in the past, you miss out on that 
oh my gosh, I love this. And I had no idea I would experience. And like, for me, those are my best reading experiences. The ones that just totally take me by surprise. Like, wow, I had no idea I wanted to read a book about this fancy kind of painting. Cause that's in the summer reading guide or about a treasure hunt or about, I don't know, 1908 Norway. I just made that up. I can't think of a book set up in 1908 Norway, but you don't know, you don't know what you're going to love a lot of the time. Exactly. Okay. So one thing I've been asking my guests who come on to talk with me about books and reading, I never asked this prior to 2020, but I have been asking kind of what your reading life looks like right now. And I've done this because the pandemic really shook up a lot of our habits or our tastes Mm -hmm. our attention spans. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so I've been sort of giving a little update and also just talking through what reading looks like right now, because I want people to know that they're not alone if they're really unable to finish something or if they're unable to find the concentration to, you know, read something that they normally would. And Mm -hmm. so I will say I'm back to my regular reading habits. I had many, many months where I wasn't, I never stopped reading entirely, but I was definitely out of sorts in all kinds of different ways over the last 18 months. I would say I'm pretty much back to my regular pace and and sort of my regular concentration level. Mm -hmm. But the thing that I talked on your show, what should I read next? We talked early in the year that my like big reading goal for 2021 was to read more backlist and stop reading new releases or bestsellers, like really getting distracted by what bookstagram says is amazing. And this was like my deeply held goal for 2021. I've done that. Not one lick. I have blown that <laughs> That is not what's happening. Every book I'm going to talk about today is a new release. I'm so sorry because I really do in my heart want to read Backlist. The only update I want to say is on that episode with you, Mm -hmm. you suggested, because I was saying what I wanted to read is Backlist of some of my favorite recent authors, Mm -hmm. that all, all of them have older books that, you know, I'm like really connecting to these different authors, Colson Whitehead. Elizabeth Strout, Jasmine Ward. Mm. I had all these um, these books I wanted to read. Well, the only one that I picked up and it's just been the last week and you recommended it. And so I'm not going to talk about it because I'm only about halfway through is Amy and Isabel by Elizabeth Strout. Do you remember recommending Yay. that one? I do. I mean, now that you mention it, I'm not sure I could have <laughs> produced that in my own. We keep a spreadsheet when memory fails. Thank goodness. Thank goodness. But I well, do it I, now. So I had that book. I bought it on Kindle yeah. deal, I think, a million years ago. So I actually already had it on my Kindle. I love Elizabeth Strout. She, of course, wrote Olive Kitteridge, Olive Again, which is one of the bo- only books in the last few years that have less, left me like actually literally weeping. Um, my name is Lucy Barton. Anything is possible. I just love Elizabeth Strout's writing. Amy and Isabel came out in 1998. It's her debut novel. Mm-hmm. When I started it, I couldn't recall what it was about. I didn't know if Amy and Isabel were friends or lovers or who are they? They are in fact, mother and daughter. And I'm already so into it. I just love the way Elizabeth Strout writes. I think you can tell since I've read, you know, four or five of her other books, you can tell that this is, you know, a first book. I do not care. I'm so into it. She is such a good 
writer. So, but I'm not going to say too much about that because again, I'm only halfway through, but I'm reading it on your recommendations. So I wanted to mention. I'm so glad you're enjoying it so far. And that the one book list title you picked up this year is an author that you love. You're making it yeah. count, Laura. I'm trying, I'm doing mm-hmm. the best. We're all doing the best we can. What is your reading life look like right now? Post reading guide. Cause you have to do mm-hmm. all this cramming to be able to make the summer reading guide, right? That's true. Um, my reading life really changes this time of year. So I do know that for me to stay happy in my reading life, and I got to stay happy with my reading or just bad things happen to me professionally and personally, that's not good. But I know I need a healthy mix of the new and the old. Too much of one or the other just makes me feel kind of twitchy, out of sorts with my reading. But the last month before the summer reading guide comes out, I Well, how about in the six months before the summer reading guide comes out, I read an increasingly higher percentage of new releases. And it's pretty much only the new stuff right before we wrap the content on the guide. And then I don't read as much when we're finishing the guide because for it to really include the books I want, I have to read as much as possible in a really tight time period. Because once we wrap it and send it to like press air quotes, you can't add stuff to it. So I want to read as much as possible in advance. And to be clear, like I can't read all the books published on any given Tuesday, let alone all the titles coming out this summer, but I'm trying to read as much of the books I'm really excited about as I can. And a ton that sound interesting. And I'll just see, see how they go. Cause I'd love to find the hidden gems. So when I'm really working hard on the content, I'm not reading as much because it kind of takes over my life for a period of time. Even though my whole team is working on the guide at a certain point, not just me. But then I'm ready to swing back to the old stuff. So that's really what I'm doing now. Although I have to say, I've realized as I've breathed my sigh of relief and gone back to my long, long list of backlist titles to read, I've been accumulating, like I miss reading all the new things. Like I just got, oh, William, Elizabeth Stroud's new one on my Kindle. I'm like, well, shoot, like I want to read all this backlist stuff, but now I have the new Anthony Doerr and the new Elizabeth Stroud and these other great books that are coming out in August and September and October are arriving on my doorstep. I'm like, well, darn, what am I going to do now? I don't know. I don't know. What's a girl to do? (laughs) I figured this out every year. I have confidence I can figure it out this year. I mean, it's just going to be about finding a new balance. So I knew that Anthony Dora had a new book coming out. I did not even know Elizabeth Stroud had a new book coming out. It's coming out this fall? I think so. Uh, yes, it. it is. But sometimes I get books six months early and sometimes I get them one month early. It's August or September. I'm pretty sure. I feel like there's a lot of books coming out in the fall. Like there's some biggies this year, right? I mean, it seems like I know it. you read a lot of literary fiction and the fall is prime season for that genre. This episode is sponsored by Noom. Think about everything you've ever learned or been told about eating healthy. The antiquated food pyramid, it isn't cutting it anymore, and you're not really sure where to turn with all the existing contradictory information. Think about it. You know how to chew, how to use forks and knives, how to get all of the meat off of a chicken wing. That's my favorite way to eat. (laughs) But do you really know how to eat? Let me introduce you to Noom. Noom says that if you want to lose weight, then it's not just what you eat today, but how you eat in general. Noom teaches you about eating, but also about your cravings and how to build new habits, so you can ditch your misconceptions and get smart about the food choices you make. Noom is based in psychology, so you learn how to eat to accomplish your personal health goals and to stick with them long term. 
You don't need rules to eat better. You need knowledge. What I like most about Noom is its ease of use. In just 10 minutes a day, I can get my program done, log my food at my own convenience. Its flexibility also cannot be beat. Noom works with my lifestyle and my schedule so I can feel accomplished and good about the choices that I make throughout the day. Noom is forgiving because you are human. If you got off track today, you can get back on track tomorrow. There's a science to getting healthier and it's called Noom. Sign up for your trial today at noom.com slash 10 things. Learn how to eat again by going to noom, N-O-O-M dot com slash 10 things, the number 10, then things, T-H-I-N-G-S for your trial. Okay, well, what we're going to do is talk about our favorite books we've read lately. Mm -hmm. That's what we always do on these episodes. And so I have three that I'm going to talk about because while I just gave a whole speech about how my reading habits are all the way back into their regular pace, Mm -hmm. maybe they're not totally because I only have three to talk about, although Mm -hmm. I do have a couple that I have read that I did not love. I'm not going to talk about those today. Not just yet. We can talk about those off, off mic. <laughs> I um, have some here. <laughs> okay, good. Perfect. But, but I'm going to talk about three. How many do you have to talk about today? And all, are all of yours in the summer reading guide? I have three as well. And sure, let's put them in the summer reading guide. Okay. Why don't you, why don't you go first? We'll go back and forth. You tell us the best, one of the best things you've read lately. Okay. The first book I'm going to talk about is the last edition to the summer reading guide, which we had already wrapped at 45 titles because at first it was going to be like 40 in the expanded guide versus 30 in the the basic guide that's publicly available because we do that expanded one for our book club members and our Patreon supporters. It's a really nice way of saying thank you to them. But then I read the, oh, then it became 42 and 44 and 45 where we had to stop because it's, it's not helpful if you talk about all the books like every single one, like the, the narrowing it down really helps people. But then I read this book and I was like, well, shoot, I guess it's going to be 46 because we have to squeeze this in. And I'll tell you why in a second, but the book is Olympus, Texas. It came out May 4th. It's by Stacey Swan. This is a debut. And this is a story about a seriously messy Texas family. It's set in a small town, a fictional small town like half an hour outside Houston. It's a town where everybody knows everybody else's business, especially when it comes to the Briscoe family. They're big, important people in town, but this family is a mess. Like somebody in the pages is like, aren't they a walking collection of deadly sins? And it starts when the prodigal son gets back in town and you realize he's been basically exiled because he slept with his brother's wife, which made everybody mad and hate his guts, including his mama. But when he gets back, like the brothers are brawling in the yard within 20 minutes. And that's just the beginning of the increasingly fraught situation. But it's called Olympus, Texas. And I'm kind of embarrassed to say that I Googled Olympus, Texas before I began to see if it was a real city. Like, no. That's supposed to cue you in to the fact that this story is a messy family saga and you could totally read it, not having a clue what I'm about to tell you. And you could thoroughly enjoy the story. But Stacey Swan has like overlaid her dysfunctional family clan atop stories from classical Greek mythology. So like everybody has a counterpart. And if you know some of the Greek history or you want to Google it, like, oh my gosh, it's just fascinating on that next, like really nerdy level. 
because it's Mount Olympus, not some town on an actual map. And we have this category in the expanded guide called Myths and Monsters. And I have to say, this is not one that I would necessarily turn to myself, but I want everybody to do it because it's so fun. Like there's a murder mystery with the classics professor. There's a retelling of Little Red Riding Hood. There are these two modern versions of classical Greek myths. And I really needed Olympus, Texas to just slide in with those books because they just belong nestled together so they can be in conversation. But such a good book. This is one of the best ones I've read this year. Maybe the best so far. Well, as usual, you've completely sold me on it. Oh, yay. Well, I know. I mean, there's a lot of dysfunction and like, if you need content warnings for things like do all the Googling, that's a real good idea. But I know you like a dark, a dark story. And this, this has got it, Laura. I don't want any content warnings ever. I mean, I understand why, why people do. Of course, there's lots of reasons that people like truly do, but I don't, if I get to a place mainly because I don't mind dark usually, and I like to be surprised. So if I can see that there is something happening in a book that is, I'm, I'm just I'm not in the place to read that, or I don't want to read that, or I really want to avoid that, then I'll just stop reading the book. But I don't like knowing ahead of time that there's going to be a, a real difficult plot line or whatever. Like I, I would rather, I would rather go through the unfolding the way that the author mm. yes. intended it. And it's so hard because I love this book. I read it before it came out. But then when I saw it being reviewed in a publication I follow, I was like, ooh, what do they have to say about Olympus, Texas? And they say something like, the plot hinges on the moment when, and then they say what happens at the midpoint of the book. And like when the thing that they described in detail in the review happened, I was like, And it makes me so mad that reviewers and sometimes the flap copy like takes those revelations away from readers who want to experience them. So I'm here for content warnings, but there's a reason I told you to Google and didn't tell you what to expect in this book. Yeah, no. Aside I'm from a really take... messy, yeah, there's fistfights and firearms and yeah. I'm going to take a risk and just read it. I mean, but I like a big shocking moment, e- even if it's, you know, messy or hard or graphic or whatever. Like I like a big shocking moment because I read a lot of books. um, You know, I love character driven Mm. novels and whatever. So I I read a lot of books where there's not a lot of shock factor to them and I enjoy them. Like I choose that usually. So when I do read a book that has a shocking twist, like I love to, to just like sit up in bed and be like, Oh my gosh. I want to be surprised. Yeah. I don't want the review to tell me. Exactly. Well, I also don't read reviews until after I read the book usually because I don't, I also don't want to be, I'd like to think that I'm uninfluenceable. Is that a word? But I am very easily influenced Mm -hmm. if somebody says they loved it or they hated it or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I don't, I don't want, I need to not, I don't want to hear their analysis until afterwards. And then usually I, you know, often do want to hear what other people thought about it, but yeah. Okay. My first one. Um, I don't, I would normally start with a novel, but I'm going to go ahead and start with a memoir. And it is Between Two Kingdoms by Suleika Joad. Have you read this? No, but I want to hear about it. So I think someone recommended this online. I can't even remember where I found it. I think because I often ask on social media, what's the best thing you've read lately or whatever. And there's slews of comments on those posts. And I just love to like kind of keep a pulse on the types of things people are reading, what they're enjoying 
that kind of stuff. And this one just kept coming up in those comments. I think that that's what, you know, made me think about it because I, I generally love memoir. Now, this is a medical memoir and I'm starting that because, I mean, that's not a secret. That's not a spoiler like we're talking about, but because I did not know until I finished this one that I find medical memoirs to be really hard. <laughs> I didn't know that because I love memoir so much. And I think uh, she's leukemia, the author, Suleika, and she discovers it after just after she graduated college. She's very young. She's doing sort of an internship in Paris and has a lot of weird symptoms and ends up becoming very sick and, and she has mm-hmm. cancer. And I think that for some people, not only is this just a very interesting story, but it, you feel seen if you've also been sick or had a loved one be sick. Mm-hmm. And then for some people, it's just too raw and hard to read um, a lot about hospitals and treatments and emotions. And, you know, again, if you if you yourself or a loved one has also walked this path, it's mm-hmm. hard to read that. So depending on your point of view, I can't like squarely say I fit into either of these. I, I have mm-hmm. never had a disease like this. Of course, I have had loved ones. But it's not like I'm like so close to it that it was the rawness of it is what is hard for me. I think, I just think medical memoirs are hard for me. I don't know why. There's not a lot that is hard for me to read. And when I finished this book, which is extremely well done, I feel like I led with why it was hard, but mm-hmm. it's very well written. It's super interesting. It has a few elements to it. It's not just one thing. I got probably 30, 40% into it and thought the whole book was going to be about her illness. And obviously that's a huge part of it, but actually the most interesting part of it is the back half after she gets better. I hope that's not a spoiler, but I mean, she's still here writing books I feel like a decade later. Memoir. Yeah. Yeah. So you can roll with that. But anyway, after she is in remission and she just really has to evaluate the people who were there for her and the people who weren't. And she's a different person on the other side of this illness. And it's not just the emotional part. She kind of ends up going on this extended road trip, which is why the cover has her um, sort of on top of a van. And that was, it was almost like two books in one, to be honest, because it was like sort of the the part where she was um, ill, which was really interesting, a hospital and her family and all these things. And then there's the after. And so it was not like two different books in a bad way, like the tone changes or anything, but just like, oh, it's almost like you get two for one. This is a real journey. And it was just very, very well done. It was, I, I felt connected to her. I felt very connected to the people in her world that she was writing about my, my not caveat, but though, but in conclusion at the end, I was like, I'm not sure I can do many medical memoirs. It, it takes me to a place of fear. That's it. But let me just put that on it. It takes me to a place of fear of, is this going to happen to me? Um, is this going to happen to someone I love? And so while it breeds a lot of empathy because you're like seeing what this is like for someone, it's scary to me. Like in a way that some memoirs that you read, like I read a lot of like really radical religious memoirs, let's say I I enjoy them. And I'm not like worried that's going to happen to me. (laughs) I'm glad to hear that. You know, you're not, you don't have like a fear to it. And so I think, you know, also when you read, I mean, there's a lot of books, I think that might have this element of like, oh, I don't like reading to that because that's like my greatest fear almost. And Mm -hmm. so reading it then is hard that I didn't even know I had to talk myself into it, Mm -hmm. but that's why I think. Um, medical memoirs are hard, even though this one is extremely well done. That was Between Two Kingdoms by Suleika Joad. 
All right. Well, I think it's fitting that my next one is going to be a memoir, not a medical memoir, but it's Michelle Zauner's Crying in H Mart. And while treatment isn't in the story, she's crying in H Mart because her mom died of cancer and it's so beautiful and also so sad. And I think the reason that this was definitely like a right book at the right time for me, I think it was a wonderful book and I would have enjoyed it. I think at any point in my life, although earlier in a year ago, it would have terrified me, but I read it a couple months after my dad died. And I was just, I was crying with Michelle Zauner, but I didn't have any familiarity with her as Japanese breakfast as a performer. So in the book, she's saying like, oh, and I was with my band and we were wondering, should we give it up? Cause this is never going to go anywhere. And I'm really like wondering, does it go anywhere? Is she still in a band? And at one point I realized, wait, hang on. Lots of people reading this already knew that there was no, there was no tension in that statement. She is Japanese breakfast and she is amazing, but she's so good with words. And she's talking about the, I mean, in many ways, this is a messy family story. And I love those. It's about a very real tumultuous mother daughter relationship. And something that I know I really love in my fiction and apparently nonfiction is a, a family that may be fraught where they might really like spar and mix it up, but they really love each other. It doesn't have to end with like soaring reconciliation, but just a commitment to the the sense of family and that love is still there, even if it's not always pretty. Oddly, I feel this way reading David Sedaris too. Like that family gets into it. And yet you see that they're so committed to each other. And I like having both things present, but her writing is so gorgeous, which I'm afraid to say sometimes because I think that reads to many people as quiet and slow, but it, it is a memoir about grief. That's probably not unfair, but there's so much food and tradition and family history and there's some travel, but it's really sad and also really life affirming. And I just loved it. So did you know that it was about the grief of a parent when you picked it up? Because since you have gone through that, you know, recently, does that make you want to pick up books like that? Or does that make you feel like, oh no, this is going to make me into a, a puddle? Um, you know, often I, often I'd be like, yeah, no, thanks. Like, just give me, give me some time, but I'm not really sure what, what made me think you should try that. Anne. it might've been that I just opened it and started reading. I mean, the first line is something like ever since my mother died, I cry in H mark. I'll often just open a book and start reading. And I, may have just started reading and been like, actually, please keep talking to me, Michelle Zauner. I like where this is going. Oh, that's such a good answer. Um, okay. Well, I'm going to, we're going to take a sharp turn away from illness. I'm here for it. (laughs) And and go into some, I don't know if this is a thriller. Sometimes I don't know how to categorize books like this, but I'm going to the good sister by Sally Hepworth. Mm -hmm much anticipated, big bestseller, not one I probably would have picked up myself. Mm -hmm. This isn't my normal reach for lots of reasons, except that I read The Mother-in-Law by Sally Hepworth. I love The Mother-in-Law. I loved The Mm Mother-in-Law and it really surprised me. I read it either last summer or the summer before as a palate cleanser after something hard. I think I bought it. It was the summer before because it was in the summer reading guide that year. (gasps) Look at you, you know. I think- I had it on my Kindle. It was, I don't even remember what I was palate cleansing from, but I thought, oh, like I'll read this little 
thriller suspense thing, which is which I often do. Those are often palate cleansers for me. And it was so much more than that. The mother-in-law was so much more than that. And I was really surprised by it and ended up really liking it. So, so I bought the good sister sort of on the same premise of over the last couple of months, just wanting to read um, not things that are easy. That's unfair to Sally Hepworth because she's a good writer, but mm-hmm. like th- that I'm not going to have to like overly think a- about, you know, isn't going to like make me think about world peace or whatever. Like, it's just like a little, yeah. you know what I mean? Like yeah. it's just sort of is what it is. I did not like the good sister as much as I liked the mother-in-law. Neither did I, but I still liked it a lot. I did like it a lot. Mm-hmm. I thought she did some really interesting things in this sister relationship where one of the sisters, they never really like explain exactly what she has, but she mm-hmm. like has, you know, may, maybe she's on the spectrum with autism mm-hmm. or something like that. They don't go exactly into why one sister has always felt very overly protective of the other one. And they're adults now and their mother is in a nursing home and a lot of things in their life. A lot of the reason why there's a lot of protection is pointing back to this event that happened when they were young children, they were together and someone died. And so now they're adults and, and their dynamics, their sisterly dynamic really hasn't changed a lot since they were like preteens, teens. And I thought there was just some very interesting things about this book. I think that Sally Hepworth does, she's so much more than what the genre suggests, if you will. It's not just a whodunit. It's not just a psychological twist, although there are both of those things in this. But she just does really interesting things with relationships, not just the sisters, but then there's also love interests. I'm not going to give it, giving anything away. And also dealing with some neurodiversity. Like, I just think she's doing a lot of different, just super interesting things with these characters that you don't normally see in like a flatter thriller, if you will, like with just sort of one dimensional, like, here's the setup, here's the formula, here's the twist. You know, I mean, it's so, so, so much more than that. And I didn't love this as much as the mother-in-law, but I also wonder if part of the reason that I love the mother-in-law so much, even though it's a good book, but also because it surprised me, you know, sometimes Mm. when you're taken by surprise by book, it ups the enjoyment level because you, Mm. you had set the bar kind of low. (laughs) So then you're like, Oh no, this was like so Mm -hmm. much better. So then I came into the good sister with, with a higher bar that I didn't, it didn't totally meet in plot because I did know the twist. I did, you know, like I felt like the plot was less original, but the characters and the setup and the premise was uh, super worth a, a great weekend read. I enjoyed it. Yeah. Yeah. So Sally Hepwether said that she writes about women's health. So you have mysteries and women's health and messy relationships. Like if you, if you had asked me, what do you want to read about? And I would never occur to me to put those three things together, but she does it and it works. Wait, so will you answer for me? Because somebody asked me this recently and I was like, I actually don't know. The difference between a mystery and a thriller? I don't know. You know when you see it, right? How about pace? Let's just say pace. Okay, because I was like, I don't know. And I didn't Google it, but then here we were talking. I was like, I don't know. Because maybe mystery doesn't, doesn't specifically require a murder and it feels like thriller requires a murder. But mystery often has a murder. I don't know. We should Google <laughs> you know what Google will say? The mystery and thriller genre. Yeah. Are they the same? Like mystery slash thriller? Is it sort of the same? I mean, they're not the same because sometimes thrillers are mysteries and sometimes they're not. 
That's what I'm saying. I, thriller I feel like we know them when we see them, Laura. I think thriller implies scarier or more suspenseful. Like there's like an urgency to it. Whereas a mystery can be less urgent, but there's still a whodunit or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It can be slower and still be a mystery. Mm-hmm. You're right. So pace is the, clearly, I, clearly we don't know in our spitball. <laughs> <laughs> I'm okay with that. What's your next pick? Ooh, okay. I, nonfiction or fiction? Out of left field or like a big summer beach read? Pick one. Oh no, I want both of those. <laughs> you always <laughs> do this to me. It's too hard to choose. Well, do it. Do us a big summer beach read because ne- neither one of us have done that yet. But then now I'm going to know, I'm dying to know you're out of left field one. But okay. do big summer beach read. I have to say, <clears throat> I've seen some reviews that have been like, eh, it's fine, which is one of the reasons I want to talk about Malibu Rising by Taylor Jenkins Reid because <gasps> I loved it. It's a big family saga. Oh my gosh. It's got strong, you're, you're all excited, but it has a strong historical element. You say, you don't, this is going to get Laura to read historical fiction. Okay. Well, I'm excited because I love her. I've, I'm, I will be a completist with her. I think I've read all of her books and she lives here in LA and I'm constantly trying to see if I can get a glimpse of her. I love her. I think this is her best. Like I, I really liked Daisy Jones. I didn't like love it, but I definitely went in with like pretty high expectations and that's dangerous. But this was so good. So this is about, here's, here's my running theme today. This is about a complicated family in a big family. This is, it's about the four kids of Mick Riva, who has brief cameos in her previous two books. So I really want to know, what were you thinking, Taylor Jenkins Reid? I think he's husband number three of Evelyn Hugo. Hmm. And then he's at a wild party in Daisy Jones, but he's old. He has four adult children. They are all going through their own stuff and it's all coming to a head the night of the like huge party that the oldest sister holds every year. And it's really cool how the book is told in plot. The way this is structured, and I'm sorry if that sounds nerdy, but like the way you experience the story is in alternating chapters, you move forward in time from like 50 years ago and you you see Mick and his wife and they're doomed relationship, how they met and they start having kids and what goes wrong, what happens in Mick's career. So you're moving forward in time, but half the book happens on the day of the party and you're moving forward hour by hour from seven o'clock in the morning when they're getting ready to actually when they're surfing, cause that's what they do to seven o'clock the next morning when the mansion has literally gone up in flames. So I really think it has everything you could want in like a big juicy summer beach read. You've got surfers and rock stars, 80s pop culture. Oh my gosh, the wardrobe descriptions were so much fun. And the little details, like she popped a can of tab in the parking lot and the house literally going up in flames on the beach road is so fun. I pre-ordered this one. When does it come out? Today. Okay. I pre-ordered it. It should be at my house by this afternoon. <laughs> so that's like very June 1st. Exciting. Here you go. I love it. I love it so much. And I'm definitely going to read it right away. I will report what I think. I will report back. Um, I'm so glad we went with Big Summer Beach Read because I don't know any of the books you're going to talk about. And I'm so glad you talked about that one. Okay. My next one, my last one actually is, you know, a nonfiction productivity, which I always feel like I bring a nonfiction book to these conversations because I alternate pretty regularly Mm -hmm. between fiction and non, but then in the mornings, as my listeners know, I read 
uh, have a morning reading session. I set my timer for 20 minutes. It's my thing that I always talk about. And I read something in the morning that's either productivity related or possibly inspirational, depending Mm -hmm. where I am, but something that kind of sets the tone for the day. And on a weekday, that's often like, you know, something kind of worky. So I just finished Effortless by Greg McEwen. I ordered Effortless because his first book, Essentialism, is one of my very favorite of this type of genre, productivity, Mm -hmm. you know, minimal. I'm not a minimalist by any means, but I'm always looking for ways to make my day, my life, especially my work life easier. And essentialism, the point of essentialism to, to do only what's essential and forget everything else is clearly not original. Like there's like a lot of books that are saying the exact same thing. There's a lot of Ted talks that say the exact same thing, whatever, but something about the way he wrote essentialism. And I don't know if it was the examples he used. I don't know if that he was sort of paring down in his own life and was sort of using his own life as the example throughout the book. I don't know, but I really connected to essentialism. Like I finally got that point and why it was important in just the way that he wrote it. Mm -hmm. So effortless is similar. I don't think it's as good as Essentialism PS, but it's similar in that the idea of this book, again, not crazy original. Effortless is, of course, you know, trying to get you to um, work smarter, not harder. Mm-hmm go towards the things that feel effortless, that can put you in the flow and outsource or drop completely, you know, the things that hinder you and hinder you being in in like a flow state that hinder your like best work because the things that feel like fun that don't feel like work are sort of, is sort of your sweet spot. Now, of course, everybody has a lot of things that they have to do that, that don't feel like any kind of flow. But the way that he talks about it, again, it was exactly the same idea for me with essentialism of, of course, I've heard this as an idea, but I just like the way he writes. I like the way that he makes a point. I like the examples that he chooses. I just like this writer in in this genre. So mm-hmm. um, Effortless is a very quick read. I don't I don't know, like page count number or whatever, if it's actually shorter than essentialism, but I flew through it. I read it in literally just a few days of morning Mm -hmm. reading. So it's quick. You know, I took something from it. If you like this type of book, you will like it. If this is not your type of jam, this is not a must read in this genre by any means. But for me, I like these type of sort of stories in the morning mm-hmm. to be like, okay. And then, and then I focus on it throughout the day. Like, does this feel effortless? <laughs> does this feel essential? You know, it's like kind of gets in mm-hmm. my psyche, which is the whole reason mm-hmm. that you read a book like this. So I love that's, it. That's yeah. Effortless by Greg McEwen. Okay. I have to confess. I've had a bookmark, a digital bookmark in this at the 20% mark for like four months or something ridiculous. I need in, to go back to it. I think it got buried in effortless In effortless. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not like, I'm not dying to pick it up in the morning. Mm -hmm. Like, it's not like, I can see why you could forget about it. I don't think it's forgettable because again, Mm -hmm. I do think that books like these kind of work on your, in your psyche in a different way than like, you know, a novel or even Mm -hmm. an inspirational thing. It's sort of like gets in, you know, gets inside your day, but it's not like where you're like dying to see what he's going (laughs) to say next. next. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds lovely. as like a morning meditation. Yeah. Yeah, it was. Okay. We did it. We shared the best stuff that we've read lately. Everyone is going to run out and get your summer reading guide. Where can they 
go find this? What's the quickest way for them to go sign up for the summer reading guide? It's easy. Just go to modernmrsdarcy.com slash S R G that's for summer reading guide. And then where can they find you so that they can follow you on social, sign up for your book club, like read everything that you recommend. Where can they find you, Anne? ModernMrsDarcy.com is my hub online. I'm on Insta at Anne Bogle. It's Anne with an E, B as in books, O-G-E-L. And my podcast, you can listen to Laura on, is What Should I Read Next? Wherever you get your podcasts. And then listeners, of course, as always, I will put all of these links in our show notes at 10thingstotellyou.com slash podcast. And I will tag Anne on social so that everyone can go follow her and sign up for her reading guide. Now, listen, we have a few minutes of bonus content on my new Patreon community, which I'm super, super excited about. So if you want to hear what else Anne and I have to say, in fact, I will probably confess to her a book that was a huge bestseller recently that I didn't like. So if you want to hear what else we're going to talk about when the mic is on, but off, if you know what I mean, (laughs) then you will have to sign up for my new community, which you can find out all about at 10thingstotellyou.com. Also linked in the show notes. Thanks so much for being here, Anne. This was super fun. It was such a treat. Thanks for having me. I'm Laura Tremaine, and you've just listened to the 10 Things to Tell You podcast. You can find the show notes and subscribe to episode emails at 10thingstotellyou.com slash podcast. And you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at 10 Things to Tell You. Remember, this is an interactive podcast. I have 10 things to tell you, and you have 10 things to tell. So take this topic to your journal or a friend or post on social media using the hashtag 10 things to tell you. These episodes are meant to bring connection with others and ourselves and spark better conversations. Thanks for listening. Now go share something.